Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to start, and then we're going to jump over uh, pretty quickly to Psalm 130. All right, so Matthew chapter 6, Psalm 130, that's where we'll be at. I need a bigger table. That's what I've decided. Okay, so we are in uh, the fourth week of our series on uh, prayer, just titled When You Pray, right, with the, the whole point of the series, it's called When You Pray, it's the idea that we should be a people who pray, right, we looked at that. In week one, where we talked about uh, when Jesus gave us, uh, basically what we're doing is we're letting Jesus kind of instruct and form and shape us as we pray. Right? That's what the Lord's Prayer is. It's Jesus, his disciples go to him and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And then this is what he says, he's the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but we started in week one and before Jesus ever got to this is how you pray, he started with here's how you don't pray. In other words, here's how not to pray. And, and so we started week one just uh, one, you should pray, so when you pray, but when you pray, don't pray like this, right? We don't pray to impress others. We don't pray to impress God. Those are not the goals of prayer, right? Because those things make prayer about us, right? So that uh, I get noticed or so that I get what I want. And, and what the Lord's Prayer lays out for us is that prayer is primarily not about us. Prayer is primarily about God, right? That's the first uh, two verses of the Lord's Prayer. If you look at verses 9 and 10 of chapter 6, Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that was just the, the, the second week. We looked at what Jesus says. That the first thing we pray for is we just pray for God's presence. We pray that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done, that we would experience his presence here and now on this earth as it is in heaven. Right? That's where we started kind of looking at as Jesus instructs us how to pray. Like the, the priority of our prayer should be that his presence in our lives, that we would experience what he has for us. And then from there, we moved on last week to verse 11, which is just give us this day our daily bread. So Jesus, we go from praying for God's presence, right? This sort of transcendent thing down to this really practical, applicable, physical thing. Right? We're trusting God for our daily needs, our daily provision. That was last week because whether we feel it or not, we are far more dependent on God than we realize. We're dependent on his provision daily. And so Jesus teaches us to pray for daily bread. And so that jumps us into where we're going to be at today, which is in verse 12. So let me read this and then we'll kind of get, get started. Verse 12, here's, here's what he says. And it's really just a continuation of verse 11. Right, so he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. All right, so it's not even like a new sentence. It just comes right on the heels of verse 11. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But uh, here's what I, I want to give us some context. Because when Jesus uses this language of forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors, like this is a significant prayer. And it, it doesn't fall on us that way because again when we, we read the Bible we got to consider the original audience who was there hearing Jesus teach these words and so when we hear debt we think no big deal we all have debt right we have um, house payments right we got mortgages we've got car payments we've got credit card debt we've got student loans right we all, like debt is just something we're just kind of familiar with I'm not even saying that's a good thing or it's a right thing but it's just kind of what we know because it's just what we know. 
So when we hear the word dead, we don't think that big of a deal. Right? You even expand that out. Our, our country is in like 30, roughly $30 trillion of national debt. I, you know, I, I'm not that interested in political stuff. I don't even know what that means. Like, who are we indebted to? Are we paying that back at some point? How do you follow Dave Ramsey's plan to pay back $30 trillion of debt? I don't know. Okay, but my point is just that, like, debt, it just surrounds us. And so because of that, like, we don't really get the fullness of what's being said here. But to the first century audience, the word debt, or to be a debtor, was significant. Because in the first century, like, debt wasn't just something that, that you lived with as part of daily life. It was, like, you could be thrown in jail for your debts. Like, if you owed somebody money and you didn't pay on it, like, you could go to, to prison, incarcerated for your debt. And so this idea of, of asking God to forgive us of our debts is a significant prayer. Right? It's to be freed or, or released almost. Right? It was no small thing to be forgiven a debt. And then on the flip side of that, where, where Jesus says, and as we forgive our debtors, it's no small thing to forgive someone of debt as a first century believer. Because again, debt was a big deal. Right? And so with that in mind, Here's, here's kind of the, the principle for, for Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. I'm going to give you the principle, and then we're going to work through a little bit of a process, right? The principle is this. Forgiven people forgive people. That's not, like, that's not for me. I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere along the way. Most of you guys have probably heard that before. Not a new principle for most of us. Forgiven people forgive people. So that's the principle of Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. As we are forgiven of our debts, we're forgiven people, we should also forgive our debtors. We should be forgiving people, okay? But then there's a process that that kind of goes through, and I think a helpful sort of framework for that is Psalm 130. And so that's where we're going to go to this morning. If you have your Bibles, kind of walk through it a few verses at a time. Psalm 130, uh, here's where it starts. We're going to start in the first three verses. All right, so we talk about forgiving people, forgive people. The first step in that process to, is to confess your need for forgiveness. All right, look at verses one through three. The psalmist writes, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? So I want you to think about where the psalmist is starting here this morning. Right? He says, uh, pretty, pretty plainly, right? out of the depths I cry to you. Right? So the psalmist is starting from a, a very low place. Right? He is uh, kind of in the, the depths of despair, uh, the, the depths of, of he's, he's gained an awareness of his sin is what, what, where we're at this morning. That's, that's where he's starting. Right? The, the depth of of despair that he's in. It's not the result of his circumstances. It's not the result of suffering. It's not the result of uh, other offenses against him. Like he's in the depths of his despair because he has an awareness of his own sin. Right? He's become, in some way, just painfully aware of the significance of his sin before a holy God. And so he does the only thing that he knows to do is to cry out for mercy. Because when you come face to face with the seriousness, the significance 
of your own sin. Like that's a startling place to be. And so the psalmist, faced with that, cries out for mercy. Oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. All right, it's almost like we, we hear the despair in his voice. He cries out for mercy. And then he, verse three, it's just like, Lord, if, if, if you just marked my iniquities, right, if the Lord is just tallying up every time I've fallen short or sinned against him, Lord, who could stand? That's a rhetorical question. Because the answer is no one. Right? If, if just as a psalmist, you like bring this into present day, if all of us kind of took our sin and laid it out before God and he's just numbering it, like who could stand before God if all our sin was to be rolled out? None of us could stand. And that's the whole point of, of, of Romans where Paul's writing, he's actually quoting another verse from Psalms where there's, there's none are righteous. No, not one. Right? None of us do right all the time. We've all, we've all sinned, we've all failed, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And if the Lord should just mark our iniquities and that's all he did was just count up every time that we sinned and fell short of his standard, none of us could stand. None of us could stand. And so to link this back into to Matthew 6, verse 12, I told you, uh, it, if you look at back at that verse, right, verses 11 and 12 from Matthew chapter 6, there's not even a break in the sentence. So verse 11 was, give us this day our daily bread, which is we need daily provision. We are dependent on God to sustain us day to day by what he gives us, comma, and forgive us our debts, which is basically to say that just as we need God's daily provision for our like physical needs, we need God's daily forgiveness and grace and mercy for our spiritual needs. Right? The verses 11 and 12 of the Lord's Prayer are, are prayers of dependence. And we're dependent not only on His physical provision, we're dependent on His spiritual provision. Right? And we, we miss this, though, sometimes because we, uh, we live in a culture in which we are sort of desensitized to sin. Right? And, and just to be, I don't think that's necessarily anything new. Like I'm, my car's on the table. I don't think, uh, I'm not one of those people that think that the world now is worse than it's ever been because I've read the Bible. And there's some like really terrible, grotesque things that happen in the Bible. Like it's messy and ugly and grimy. So it's like when, when the author of Ecclesiastes said there's nothing new under the sun, like I don't believe I don't believe uh, the depravity of humanity is any worse now than it's ever been. I mean, if you read through, I mean, you just start reading from the beginning. You get to Genesis 3, sin comes in, breaks everything. We only get three more chapters, Genesis 6, before God's like, you know what? Reset, right? It only took three chapters before the world got so corrupt and wicked that God was like, okay, we need to do something about this. So I think like, because of the fallen nature of man, like, the world has always been sinful, but I do think because of the rise of technology, because, uh, because of the advent of, of 24-hour news, because of social media, because of how connected we are, like, like when something happens on the other side of the world, like you know about it in 13 seconds. Because of that, I think 
I don't, well, I don't think the world is more sinful than it's ever been. I, I do think that we are more aware of it. And it's pushed and even celebrated more than ever before. And because of that, we've become desensitized to the seriousness of sin. Right? It, it seems like something that's, like when we see it on TV, let, let's just give a real life example. To look on the news and see that, that someone has blown themselves up to murder dozens and dozens and dozens of people. Like when we look at that and we see like the, man, the, the seriousness and the significance of that, all of a sudden, just kind of my anger and resentment towards my brother doesn't seem like that big of a deal, does it? I mean, I have many people that I don't like. I may have people that I can't stand. I may have people that I don't want to look at or be in the same room with, but I would never blow myself up to kill them, right? So my sin's not that big of a deal. And yet, in the same sermon, Jesus says, if you're just like angry or like hold resentment against your brother, you're essentially guilty of murder. Right? My point is just that and we can go on and on and on. Right? You see the, the terrible, terrible things that happen on the news. You see them posted on social media. And, and the more that we take that stuff in, like the, the less serious we think that our own sin is because it doesn't compare to what we see there. Right? The, the domestic abuse arrest that's on the front page of the paper, well, all of a sudden me snapping at my wife just doesn't seem like that big of a deal. And we go on and on and on because we live in a culture that's, that promotes and celebrates sin and it's always right in front of us. We're just desensitized to it. And what that does is it, 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 we don't feel our desperation for God's grace and mercy and forgiveness the way that we should. Just as we live in a, like I said last week, we live in a world where we don't feel our need for God's daily provision in the way that we always should. We don't feel our need for God's grace and kindness and forgiveness in ways that we always should. And so, here's the deal. We, until we come face to face, like the psalmist, with how significant our sin is, until we face that, like the ugliness of it and the seriousness of it, we will never pray, forgive us of our debts. Like until we realize that, that we are debtors, we won't pray, forgive us of our debts. So the first step to being forgiving Forgiven people that forgive people, the first step is to confess our own need, to be aware of our own need for forgiveness. All right? So the psalm starts in despair, out of the depths of despair. He, he cries, he's aware of his own sin. Um, but but uh, there, there, good news is for us this morning is that there's a way out. So look at verses 4 through 6. But, but, I would say that's a big but, but that would get me in trouble. But, I just said it anyways. But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. He goes on, he says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. So where he began in like despair, where he began in the depths, there's this but this hinge in the text. But with you, God, there is forgiveness. Here's the good news for you this morning. Yes, your, your need for God's forgiveness is great. 
Right? But the only thing greater than your need for God's forgiveness is his willingness to forgive. Isn't that good news? Right? The only thing greater than your need for forgiveness is God's willingness to extend forgiveness to you. But with you, there is forgiveness. So here's the, the second point. I'm talking about the process, right? The first one was to confess your need. The second one is to trust God's promise. I love I love what, what he says here, but with you there is forgiveness. Not there was forgiveness for the things of my past. Not that there will be forgiveness, right? but there is forgiveness. Right now, in this moment, forgiveness extended to us because of what Christ has done for us. There is forgiveness. And it's available to us here and now. It's not after I achieve some certain level of, of worthiness. It's not after I get my act cleaned up. It's not after I take care of all this stuff in, in the background. Right? God's forgiveness is not predicated on, on us getting to some level where we think we're worthy of receiving his forgiveness. Right? That's not how grace works. That's what we just sang about. I didn't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. And still God gives forgiveness. That's the good news of the gospel. Right? That, that we didn't have to get cleaned up before God sent his son. While we were yet still sinners, God sent his son for us. With God, there is forgiveness available to you here and now. And I, I love like, the moment he realizes forgiveness in this passage, you know where he is, right? He's still in the depths of his sin. Right? I mean, he just started off. Out of the depths, I cry to you. And this culminates in verse 3. Like, I can't even stand before you, God. Verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness. I can't help but think of uh, John chapter 8. You don't have to go there. I'll just kind of give you the, uh, the JLV, Jonas Larkin version. It's a paraphrase. It's not a translation. Um, John chapter 8. Jesus is kind of there in, in town and there's a woman that's caught in the act of adultery. And she's drugged into the middle of town. I mean, she's caught in the act. Let him who has ears hear what that means. Okay, She's caught in the act of adultery. She's drugged into the public square where she's going to be condemned and stoned. Right in the, in the kind of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they say, hey, here's what the law says we should stone her because of this. What do you say? And then Jesus, like, his mic drop moment, right? He's, here's what we'll do. Those of you without the sin, without sin, you go ahead and throw your stone first. And there's a little detail there. I think this has nothing to do with the sermon, but it says from the oldest to the youngest, they walked away. Why? Because the longer you've been around, if you're, if you're doing this thing right, the more aware you should be of how much you need God's forgiveness. Right? The, the longer you follow Jesus, like doesn't mean like the more perfect you become. Like Let me free you up with that this morning. The longer you follow Jesus, sometimes you just become more aware of just how sinful and in need of Jesus you are. That's why the gospel is not just for uh, unbelievers, it's for those of us who are believers, we need to hear it and preach it to ourselves every day. But anyways, I'm getting sidetracked now, sorry. Not even in my notes. 
But Jesus looks at this woman who's caught in the act of adultery. And after everybody walks away because they realize their own sin, he looks at the woman, he lifts her up to her feet. He says, has no one condemned you? She says, nobody has. And Jesus says, neither do I. You're forgiven. Go and sin no more. And the reason I bring that up is I mean, the psalmist was in the depths of his sin, and that's where he experienced God's forgiveness. The woman caught in adultery was caught in the act, and that's where she received God's forgiveness. So maybe you're here this morning, and I mean, hopefully you're not here because somebody drug you in here, literally, because you were caught in some act, but and if you're here this morning, and maybe you've, you just feel the weight and the guilt and the shame of your sin, then the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that forgiveness is here for you now. Not after you go back home today and clean up some stuff. Forgiveness is available to you now. Right? With you there is forgiveness. You can trust God's promise because there is forgiveness. The psalmist, it says he hopes in God's word. Right? It says he waits for the Lord and in his word, I hope. He can hope in God's word because God has promised forgiveness. Right? This is where this is where Matthew uh, 6.12 meets 1 John 1.9. Right, so Matthew 6.12 is forgive us our debts. And 1 John 1.9 is if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right, forgiveness promised. Trust God's promise. Just as uh, he, he says, uh, his soul waits for, like the watchmen wait for the morning, right? The watchmen, like their job is they kind of, they're on night watch, they watch through the night and they face this assurance that, you know what? The sun's gonna come up. What he's saying is, is I can trust God's promise that forgiveness will be given. Just as the sun will come up and the watchmen will be relieved of their duty, God's forgiveness is certain. I can be relieved and forgiven and cleansed from my sin. Because that's what God has promised. All right, so we, we confess our need for his forgiveness. We trust God's promise. So we're, we're in the depths of despair. We've come out of the hole because of God's forgiveness, but, but there's still more. Here's what happens the last two verses, verses seven and eight. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is I love this. Plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So here's what we see kind of at the, the, as the psalm ends. We've, I've said this over and over again, but I want you to get it. Like we, we've started in the pit of despair and we're just on this upward trajectory because God gives grace and mercy and forgiveness. Now, where he started out of the depths he cries. Now all of a sudden he's like shouting from the rooftops, Oh Israel, hope in the Lord. Because what he has experienced personally, he wants other people to experience as well. What he knows himself, he's experienced and received God's forgiveness in the depths of his sin. And now he's proclaiming God's forgiveness to others. Oh Israel, hope in 
the Lord. Because with him there is plentiful redemption. Right? His, his grace is sufficient. His mercy is new every morning. God doesn't run out of forgiveness. Right? Be encouraged this morning. God is not a stingy God. His grace is sufficient. His mercy is new. His forgiveness or his, his redemption is plentiful. And this brings, brings us back, kind of, again, the, the trajectory of the psalmist goes from what he's experienced internally to now he's shouting it out, he's extending it to other people, which brings us back to Matthew 6, verse 12, which is forgive us our debts. And then there's a second part, right? As we have forgiven our debtors. Right? The, the, the gospel is the good news that even though we have sinned against a holy God, he has lavished us in grace and mercy and forgiveness. So that those of us who have experienced that might also extend that to others. So here's an assessment for you. If you want to know, like, like, do I really get the gospel? Do I really understand it? So what do you do when you're sinned against? What do you do when someone sins against you? Because if you, if you understand the good news of Jesus, if you've received the good news of Jesus, if you believe and trust on Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, then we should be a people who extend forgiveness. Listen, we should be a people who are marked by willingness to forgive. Right, this is at the heart of of Ephesians 4. Again, it'll be on the screen. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But this is what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. This is like his hopes for the church. Ephesians 4, verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As people who have received and experienced God's forgiveness, we should be a people who are willing and jump at the opportunity to extend God's forgiveness. Both in telling other people that God forgives, but also in actually forgiving people that sin against us. Because listen, the refusal to forgive someone for their sin against you is like the the height or the pinnacle of spiritual arrogance. To say, God has forgiven me, but I cannot forgive you, is, this, is essentially saying that, that your sins against me are greater than my sins against God. If, if the holy creator of the universe can forgive me for my sin, and my rebellion against him, but I can't forgive you for some sideways word you spoke to me, 
that's, a, that's an indication that we don't fully understand what it means that we've been forgiven. Because forgiven people forgive people. Refusal to forgive is like the, the height of spiritual arrogance. And, and I say that I don't want to minimize your, the sin against you. Right? We've all been sinned against in many ways and in varying degrees. Some of us, like myself, have had pretty easy lives. But I know there's some of you here in this room that you've been sinned against in ways that are deep and harmful and like, like you still bear the scars of that today. And so hear me, I don't want to minimize the sin committed against you. That's not what I'm doing. But as, as terrible and as grotesque and as painful as it may have been, any sin committed against us still falls under it's trumped by our sin against a holy God. And if a holy God can forgive me for my sin and rebellion against him, how much more should I forgive someone who sins against me? As terrible and as painful as it might be. So, here's where we're going to kind of conclude this morning. I've got two questions for you to, to kind of take with you this week kind of prompt you to respond as the Lord would have you to respond, right? Maybe you respond here this morning. Maybe as you go through your week and you think and dwell and meditate on these, maybe it prompts you then. But here's two questions, all right? First one is this. Where do you need to experience God's forgiveness? Where do you need to experience God's forgiveness? Where have you sinned and rebelled against a holy God? Where have you fallen short of his standard for your life? Where have you failed to live up to what he's called you to? We all have. We all have. Where do you need to confess that to the Lord? Because like we said earlier, 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. It's promised and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to confess. And I want to even like put some parameters around that word confess. When we confess, we're not telling God nothing. He, we're, like, we're not telling him anything he doesn't know. And God knows where we've fallen short. He knows where we've sinned. He knows where we failed to live up to his standard. Like, and it's not even just actions. Like He knows the things that we think. He is omniscient, all-knowing omnipresent, just everywhere, all the time. He knows what we do, what we say, what we think. He knows the desires of our hearts. So when we confess our sin to him, we're not telling him something he doesn't already know. The word confess basically just means to agree with. So when I confess my sin to God, here's what I'm saying. I acknowledge that I am a debtor. I have a debt. I need forgiveness. That's what you're doing when you confess your sin to God. You're saying, God, this is sin. I acknowledge it as sin. I acknowledge my need for forgiveness. So where do you need to experience God's forgiveness? Where do you need to experience his grace and his mercy? Because he's promised forgiveness. Like the psalmist said, with you, God, there is forgiveness. And then here's the second question. So that's kind of a more horizontal, right, where you need to experience God's forgiveness. But, but think of this. I saw this vertical. That's not horizontal. 
All right? Now we're going horizontal. Where do you need to extend God's forgiveness? Who do you need to forgive? Who has said something to you? Who has done something to you? Who has hurt you in some way that you need to extend forgiveness? Maybe it means that you actually need to pick up the phone and call somebody this afternoon. Maybe there's a relationship, a family, like, I get it, man, family dynamics are weird. Maybe someone in your family has said something to you 10 years ago and you've never forgiven them for it. What I'm telling you this morning is if you've experienced the forgiveness of God, how can you withhold that from someone else? So maybe you need to call someone and extend forgiveness today. Or maybe it was something that happened to you long ago and like because of circumstances, like you don't have the ability to actually contact someone and extend forgiveness. But you can take that to the Lord and just say, God, I'm willing to forgive. I may never be able to tell this person face to face because whether they're no longer with us or maybe because of some parameters, safety issues that are put in place, I can't contact them. You can take that to the Lord and say, God, I'm willing to forgive. Or maybe, maybe you're here this morning and like you don't even want to forgive. Maybe somebody's hurt you in such a way that you're like, I can't do it. But maybe your prayer this morning is just, God, help me want to forgive. That's an okay place to be. It's just not an okay place to stay. So maybe your prayer this morning is just, God, I don't even want to forgive this person. Help me want to. I believe God will will honor that prayer. And you continue to pray it, I believe he'll change your heart, that you would want to extend forgiveness. So where do you need to experience God's forgiveness? Where do you need to extend God's forgiveness? And I just want to end with the verse we started with this morning from Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony, forgiveness, grace with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus that together You may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Here's the good news about God's forgiveness. It's not just that he has forgiven us of our sin. As good of news as that is, it's that he welcomes us. He doesn't forgive us and keep us at an arm's length. Like, I forgive you, but I don't really want you close to me right now. It's not that kind of forgiveness. It's like, I forgive you, get in here for a big hug. This is what God has done for us in Christ, and this is what he calls us to with others. As God has welcomed us, we welcome one another. Yes, for our good and for our joy, but ultimately for God's glory. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning and we can only come to you because you have forgiven us. But left, left, to our, left to ourselves, we are not worthy to call you Father. We are not worthy to step into your presence. But we know that Je- Jesus intercedes for us that because of his death, his resurrection, because of our trust in that this morning, that we have 
fellowship with you. We've been uh, restored into a relationship with you. And so we can come boldly to you and just ask that you would both help us to experience your forgiveness and extend your forgiveness. So I pray now in this moment, Lord, for, for those of us here this morning that maybe there's places and spaces in our lives where we need to receive your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would show those to us this morning. Or the, the places where we're carrying the weight and the guilt and the shame of our sin. Help us to know that with you there is forgiveness. And I pray that we would confess those things to you. Not because you don't know them, but that we would agree with you that these are sinful things and that we are in need of a Savior. Father, maybe there's someone here this morning that's never trusted in you as Savior. I pray that they would, they would realize that this morning, that just as the psalmist realized his, he had an awareness of his sin, I pray that for someone here this morning that has, I pray that you would give them awareness of their, their hopelessness without you. And I pray that you would give them the courage to step into that relationship, to repent of their sin, to cry out to you to save them from their sin. And then, Father, for those of us that have experienced your goodness and your kindness and your grace and your mercy lavished on us, make us a people who are quick to forgive. When we are spoken ill of, when we are hurt by the, uh, the actions or words or attitudes of others, help us to be a people who extend forgiveness in the same way that you have extended it to us. So Lord, I pray that as we respond here this morning, even as we respond throughout the week, Lord, that you would help us to live out what you've called us to live out. And we pray, we ask all this in Jesus' name.